Welcome to the Facts Are What Matter podcast, where we discuss the lies, the myths, and the propaganda being promoted by the media and society. Let's all be informed, not uninformed, or even worse, misinformed. Here we go. Hello, I'm Dave Swinford, your host, and today on the Facts Are What Matter, we're going to be discussing tax policy and whether it's true that the 1% do not pay their fair share of taxes. So the Democrats, like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, you know, back when they were running in the primaries in this, before the last election, they kept telling us the top 1% don't pay their fair share of taxes. Is that true? Then you ask the question, what is fair? What is, what is a fair share? So that's really opinion, and that's uh, based on your view of taxes in general. You know, who has the right to the money that you make? Is that your money? Is it society's money? Is it the individual's money? Some people would say that all taxes are theft by the government. Now, we know we have to have taxes to pay for roads and bridges and airports and the military and, you know, health and safety of the country. There's some some taxes are unavoidable. But there's not necessarily agreement on what the money should be spent on. Should it be spent on aid to foreign countries? Should it be spent on defense programs, social programs? Should it be spent on college tuition bailouts? That's our hot topic right now. You know, and, and in my mind, there's things that are good for the society as a whole, and there's things that are good for individuals. College tuition bailouts would sort of fail that that's good for the for society as a whole because you can't – it's not a very good argument to say that society has to have a bunch of college graduates. You have to have a certain amount of education in society for the society to function, but you don't need a bunch of people running around with degrees in gender studies. That's not going to do anything, help you, really, for the country. And then there's the issue of when are taxes punitive and when are they used as a tool to punish the rich and change society for social justice? And should we even be doing that? So what's going on with this narrative and why is it being pushed that the top 1% don't pay taxes? Well, you know, the media and the politicians, they try to exploit people's fears, their insecurities, even their jealousies. They're trying to divide and conquer. They're trying to div- throw us and divide people into people feeling that they're oppressed, feeling that they're taking advantage of you, feeling, you know, that people don't care about young people, old people, ethnic groups, sick people, gay people. So if you listen to them, they're going to tell you that they have a way and they're going to fix it. They're going to make everything better for you. All this stuff, it's just psychological manipulation. So let's get on with it. What are the facts on who is paying taxes? So I went and looked several sources. Um, There's a bunch of places to go on the Internet. It's lots and lots of data and studies and papers out there. Um, the taxpolicycenter.org is mainly a liberal organization. It's a joint organization of the Urban Institute and the Bookings Institute, both of which are liberal organizations. The taxfoundation.org, I think, is more uh, more conservative-oriented. And then there's the Congressional Budget Office. That's, of course, a U.S. government office, the IRS, and uh, another uh, organization called taxpolicy.org. So... If you go through it and you look at these sources, they're going to show you that income taxes make up 50% of all the 
all the income that the government takes in. Capital gains taxes, that's, you know, the taxes on dividends, interest, realized property gains, you know, when you sell a property or a stock. Um, and those, of course, can be taxed as short-term, and then they come out as regular income, or they could be taxed as long-term, and you get a little bit of a tax break on that. And that's to encourage um, investment. So there's excise taxes, and that's the taxes that's on gasoline and alcohol and tobacco, and um, it's also on airline travel. They have taxes on that. And then payroll taxes. Now, back in the to- back in the day, these were really earmarked for these specific items, and I don't believe that's the case anymore. I think maybe it was Lyndon Johnson that gave up the earmark and the set-asides for these things. But that's Social Security and Medicare and the, your Social Security is only taxed, I think, up to the to about the first hundred and thirty-seven thousand dollars, and then above that, you don't pay any you don't pay any more Social Security. You you, you quit paying once you fulfill that. So if you made one hundred and fifty thousand, everything above one hundred and thirty-seven thousand would not be taxed for Social Security. But there's no limit on Medicare. Medicare, you pay that for every dime you earn, you keep paying that no matter what, and Theoretically, those dollars should be limited for those purposes, but that's not always the case, as we've learned. Estate taxes, and and there's a I think it's an eleven million dollar exemption now, and that's been all over the map. It changes. It seems like it changes every every few years, and depending on who's in what party's in power, what the president in power thinks about it, it changed under it changed under Trump. It changed under. Obama, I think, it, but and I know it changed under Clinton, so it's changed. It's just all over, been all over the place. So, individual income tax takes up fifty percent of the, all the taxes. Corporate tax income tax is like seven percent, and then social social insurance or social, that's Medicare Medicaid is like thirty six percent. Estate taxes is tiny, like. Three percent, others there's like five percent. So, so corporate taxes. That seems like that'd be a good place to go get more tax revenue. But as Milton Friedman, the Nobel laureate economist, stated back in the seventies, he said the elementary fact is that business does not and cannot pay taxes. Only people can pay taxes. Corporate officials may sign the check, but the money that they forward to the IRS comes from the corporation's employees, the customers, and the stockholders. Income taxes is where it's all made. Income tax and payroll tax. How are our taxes spent? You know, it's one thing to pay these taxes, but are you happy with how they're, are you, are you okay with how they're being spent? Turns out 62% of our taxes are for mandatory expenditures, such as Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, veterans benefits, and a a category they call income security, which I'm not, it's sort of a catch-all, I think. So in 30%, so 60% are mandatory, 30% are discretionary, and if it's discretionary, half of that is for defense. So 50% of the 30%, so 15% of the total federal budget is really for Department of Defense. Then the rest falls into education, transportation, health, 
science activities, income security again, whatever that is. And then 8% goes towards servicing the debt that we have in the country. A lot of the money goes already towards mandatory spending, social, social security, Medicare, and uh, social programs. So who pays taxes? So the taxfoundation.org, one, one of the things I mentioned, the year 2017, and, and it's probably a more conservative organization, its source was the IRS statistics of income, individual income rates, and tax shares for 2019. So in this, they show a total of 143 million returns. So that's, you know, some of those are families, some of those are, are individuals. There's, you know, it's not uh, 143 million people. There's more people than that combined in those returns. So... Of those 143 million returns, 50%, the bottom 50%, pay only 3.1% of income taxes. Seven, 74 million returns, and the breakpoint is around $41,000. The top 10% pay 70.1% of all taxes. So that's 14 million returns. And that income break point is about 145000 So everybody above $145,000 of adjusted gross income pays 70% of all the taxes. This top 1%, and this is, you know, this is the Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, you know, hey, they don't pay their share. Turns out they pay 38.5% of all income taxes. So there's about 1.4 million returns, and they pay... 38.5% of all the taxes. And that break point is like $515,000. So around the $515,000 mark and higher, those people are paying 38.5% of all the income taxes. And so I went back. So this is the taxfoundation.org. And I went and dug through the congressional budget reports for that same tax year, 2017. And guess what? Those numbers match. So... They are accurately reflecting what was what the U.S. government reported out as to what was who paid what and how everything you know, broke down tax-wise. So their statement in this uh, in this publication, TaxFoundation.org, in this study, they said this is their conclusions. The data demonstrates that the U.S. individual income tax continues to be very progressive born primarily by the highest income earners. In 2017, 143.3 million taxpayers reported earning $10.9 trillion in adjusted gross income and paid $1.6 trillion in individual income taxes. The share of reported income earned by the top 1% rose to 21% from 19.7% in 2016. Their share of federal individual taxes rose to 38.5% from 37.3% in 2016. So there's an interesting point there that says the top 1% of taxpayers, that their income, the total, they are earning 21% of all the income in the country. So that is, you know, that is, that is interesting. Um, that doesn't bide well for the comment that income is evenly distributed. It's, it's not. But I don't think it's ever been. In 2017, the top 50% of all taxpayers paid 97% of all individual income taxes. That's what we just talked about. And the top 1% paid 
paid a greater share of the individual income taxes, 38.5%, than the bottom 90% combined. So that's an interesting comment. The top 1% paid 38.5% of the, all the taxes. The bottom 90% paid 29.9%. When you hit that 1% zone, you're paying, you're paying everybody's taxes. The top 1% paid 26.8% average individual income tax rate. So, you know, the way the tax laws work, you pay a certain rate, you know, there's break, there's break points, right? So, but across all their taxes they paid, they paid a 26.8% average income rate. The bottom 50% paid 4%. Now, the thing as a taxpayer and the people in these bottom categories, I'm sure, would maybe would like not like to hear that or argue about it. But in essence, they're mainly paying payroll taxes of Social Security and Medicare. And then they're when they file their taxes, they're getting income tax credits back from the government. So their effective rate is like 4%. The other thing we looked at, I looked at, was taxpolicycenter.org. Again, that was more liberal-oriented. It was a... Um, it's a thing from the Urban's and Brooking Institute, and they use their they cited their data source as the Urban's Brookings micro simulation model. So I'm not sure exactly how that ties back exactly to federal um, to Congressional Budget Office or the IRS or real data. So I'm not sure what that means. But anyways, like the U.S. government, their report divides the population in fifths. So in their report, you know, they say the top fifth or the top 20% pay 67.7% of all taxes, which is a different number than we saw in the other publication, but it still says the top people are paying a lot more of the taxes. And they say that in theirs, they say the top 1% pays 25.6% of all taxes and that the top 1% income level averages averages and it's different than a break point it averages 2.4 million dollars and then they and there's they say the top 0.1 percent pays 12.5 percent of all the top 0.1 percent remember top point not one percent but the top 0.1 percent pays 12 and a half percent of all the taxes and that break point is that income level averages i'm sorry the average is 11.4 million that's a pretty big average so regardless if you read the if you read the conservative version of this or you read the liberal version of this, it is evident that the top one percent is paying a significant amount of all the taxes that are collected. The other thing to discuss is there's a significant number of people that believe that taxes should be a means to affect social change. For example, um, there's a Florida A and M paper that somebody I was in this research I found, and uh, I'll read a couple of comments out of this paper. And the paper is entitled, the paper is entitled Exploding Wealth Inequalities. Does tax policy promote social justice or social injustice? So already there's the title, right? It's already in the title. This is in reviewing tax policy as a whole, our current system is grossly imbalanced. Although the structure of the U.S. taxing policy is labeled as a progressive system, the reality is that our system in operation is a regressive taxing system. Well, we just saw that it wasn't. 
We just saw that the top 1%, 10%, 0.1% are paying a lot of the taxes in this country, a significant amount of taxes. Now, she's going to make the, argu the argument in this paper that it's regressive because, and she's focused on wealth tax, the wealth tax and passing down um, capital from one generation to the next, that it's regressive, that you get tax benefits at the higher levels and you don't get them at the lower levels. Well, the unfortunately, the lower levels, they're not paying, they're not going to pay any any taxes or, on wealth at, when they hand it down because the tax cutoff is $11 million. So they're not going to, I mean, that's a lot of money. Not very many people are going to have to worry about that. Although, if you have a large farm, you have a business, a small business, some kind of enterprise like that, and you want to hand it down to your, your family, you should not be penalized for doing that. So some more quotes from this paper. It says, by making adjustments to current policies, the tax code can be used to reduce the massive wealth and in income disparity that currently exists. So there you go. It's used as a tool to affect social change, to affect society. Using taxes as a punitive thing to uh, go after people and get and take and basically even out society. Another quote: When discussing issues of wealth and income inequality, the discussion inherently turns to a discussion of what is fair, equitable, and bears the most resemblance to justice. The discourse is saturated with the frustrations of the 99% and their demand for justice. Well, I'm in the 99% and I'm not demanding justice, but there's evidently people who do because they think what? They think everybody should be equal, equal outcome. They think it's not fair. It's not fair to them. Who's it not fair to? Is it not fair to the person who worked their butt off for 40 or 50 years and wants to hand this property down to their family or their kids or, or, or their own, their own decisions on who gets it, what some organization or a church or versus going to the government. This paper, you know, it's mainly arguing that the inheritance tax and the pass and the pass down laws are not fair and they're slanted towards the wealthy. So, you know, as I said, the wealthy, they have the property, they have property to pass down, but it is limited to $11 million with the current tax laws. Above $11 million, you pay a significant amount of taxes on it. But again, whose money is it? Whose money is it? Should the government get it? Why? Why should the government get it? And then the final conclusion of the paper, the very end of the paper, it says, it is time to reform the tax policy to bring more social justice to the tax code. Years of using the tax code to shift wealth to the wealthiest must end. Well, that's really not happening. Other articles in the mainstream media push this false narrative and that higher income families don't pay taxes. There's a couple articles here in Forbes that I found. This one, I thought just just the title itself was a was such a fallacy. It says tax brackets are a fiction and barely apply to the wealthy. 
So you know right away, this author is, which way this author is leaning. And here's a quote. Tax brackets, besides a tool to implement in the legal and economic sense, a progressive tax structure that increases as someone's income grows, often are a way for the wealthy and powerful to bamboozle everyone else. Now, what does that mean? Tax brackets are often, you know, remove all the other junk. Tax brackets are often a way for the wealthy and powerful to bamboozle everyone else. Again, does not make sense. It does make a key point about really high incomes, right? So it says here, not everyone that le- at that level earns such amounts year in and year out. Many might be selling a business they built over many decades. Some could have seemed to seem to have a, will, a windfall, right? So like you won the lottery or, you know, Uncle Joe leaves you, I mean, more than $11 million or whatever. So that's a really good point because, you know, people's income is not typically flat over the, over the course of every year. So you can may have a really big year, say you're a, salesperson and you have a really good year and you sell a lot of property and you make a lot of money one year and you jump up a category, you're going to pay more taxes that year. And the really good point is if you sell a business or you sell a farm or you sell a lot of equipment from, from a business, you're going to, you're going to have to pay taxes. And, you know, there's, even follows some of these arguments with, Whatever the case, though, the wealthy, wealthy find ways to lower their technical burden. Whatever the case, it doesn't have an example. Whatever the case, the wealthy find ways to lower their technical burden. Let me tell you something. I remember when I was young, young in the late 70s, early 80s, we had, there were just huge numbers of, of tax uh, brackets all kinds of tax laws. There, people would do all kinds of crazy things to get a tax cut. They would like, you could depreciate anything. You could, you could, average income over seven years. You could do all kinds of things like that that you really can't do today. So as they have been changing the tax law, beginning with Reagan, going through, all the way through to Trump, they may be reducing the number of tax brackets, but they're also taking away tax deductions, and. I don't know that there's a there's a super easy way to do that to how do you how do you lower your technical burden without taking on risk like like buying a property or you could buy a farm I guess and put money in a farm and you know you that gets paid to that that gets taxed at a lower rate than say another house would a second home but there's only so much you can do I don't know what they are or how to use them myself. So I don't think the author knows either. He just made a statement he didn't know anything about. It says the paper, this paper argues that the wealthy get income from investments, which is true, and due to capital gains laws pay a lower tax rate. Or it argues against businesses getting to take proper paper losses and reduce taxes and all that kind of stuff. You know, if you own your own business or you have a small business, you can put your kids working for that business and give them money and you can write it off and all this kind of stuff. But what he doesn't go, what he does, 
what he fails to mention is the fact that, again, in this progressive tax structure, that bottom 50% are getting tax credits, and they're only paying 4%. So you're going to give somebody a hard time because they're paying 15 to 28%, depending on what the tax bracket they're in. That's not enough. What's enough? And again, capital gains laws were put into place. The tax structure was put into place to encourage investment. And if anyone in that in that middle part is wants to get into the top 10%, 5%, 1%, the one way they have to do it, they can do it, is by investing and saving and earning capital and earning income off that capital to let it, you let it grow and you earn income and you, and you maybe you have a potential for your family or your, or your heirs to get into that 1%. That's, he's, he doesn't really have a good argument. What he doesn't discuss is that those, you know, those capital tax provisions were put in place to encourage investment, which is a pathway for people to grow into a wealthy status. The whole, art, whole article is really just a bad argument because he points out that, yes, he, he says, yes, taxpayers making over $500 million pay 38.5% of all the taxes. And then he follows that up with some really bad math and concludes that rates aren't everything they appear to be. While he states a lot of factual information, it's just an appeal to emotion apparently founded in jealousy. And this is in Forbes, Right a mainstream media kind of a publication. So another Forbes article um, <clears throat> says, it's the title was Stop Arguing About Fairness, You're Not Convincing Anyone. Now, this is really a paper about a paper. I guess a lot of like this podcast, which is a podcast about other papers. But anyways, it's a paper about a Harvard study on perceptions of tax fairness. And in this paper, one of the quotes from this, it says, this lady, uh, Statcheva, S-T-A-T-C-H-E-V-A, she was the person who wrote this paper. In her survey data, for instance, Statcheva found that 70% of respondents endorsed money and wealth in the United States being more evenly distributed. Almost half of all respondents said income equality is a serious problem. Sounds like a consensus. Now let's break that down. She said 70% of respondents endorsed money and wealth in the United States being more evenly distributed. Well, okay, yeah, uh, that would be, that would not be, might not be a bad thing if money was more evenly distributed. It, it may or may not, I don't know. Um, it says almost, ha almost half of all respondents said in income inequality is a serious problem. Sounds like a consensus. Almost half, no percentage, she didn't give any percentage, said almost half said income inequality is a serious problem. And then followed that by immediately by sounds like a consensus. Now, I don't know about you, but almost half and consensus are not even close to the same. So income inequality, I think, can be a problem if it's too... If there's too much in the income inequality, but what is a serious problem? How do you define a serious problem? What's it going to cause 
there's lots of things to go with it. So this whole paper really, again, it's just one of those things that's, it's a lot of opinion. It's a lot of uh, ways to manipulate people into thinking certain things. So <clears throat> to go back and summarize, you know, we showed that uh, using several data sources that the tax laws are progressive. And while there are always cases of people cheating the system and gaming the system, the top percentage of taxpayers, and especially the top 1% of taxpayers, pay a huge portion of all the taxes in this country. We discussed that the, the narrative about fairness is really tied to opinions, to emotions, and to political agendas, i.e. social justice and societal change. So now that you know the facts, when you listen to the mainstream media and the politicians lie about what's really going on, you're going to understand that they're attempting to appeal to your emotions and psychologically manipulate you. They're appealing to your fears that you're being tr treated unfairly. They're appealing to your jealousy that others are getting more than you are and that you aren't getting all you deserve. They're even appealing to your guilt that, that maybe you should pay more. In the end, facts are what matter. Until next time, goodbye. Thanks for listening to the Facts Are What Matter podcast. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to catch our future episodes.